Welcome into episode 20 of the Landscape Photography Show. On this episode, we talk to photographer Michael Bellino, a photographer living in Portland, Oregon. And I was really excited to get to talk to Michael. Number one, just to catch up because it's been a while since we did talk. And number two, to discuss things about his photography that I think can help anyone listening. Number one, like, what is the benefit of backpacking to your photography? I talked to Michael a little bit about his beliefs and thoughts on that. Also, his past experiences traveling to different cultures and how he relates that back to what he's shooting now and also his creative workflow. We even get into some talk about using two different cameras to capture better compositions while in the field and waiting on great light. So let's get to the episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. We're here with Michael Bellino, a photographer from the Pacific Northwest. I feel like the Pacific Northwest is kind of like a hotbed for photographers. Would you concur with that, Michael? I think, yeah, definitely. It's been a hotbed, um, especially like 10 years ago. I feel like that was where a lot of different photographers kind of got their start. Um, and I think it's just because there's such a variety of landscapes. I think you have your forest, you have your coast, you have your mountains, you have your desert. And they're all kind of in a fairly tight geographic area. So there's a wide variety of uh, types of landscapes to shoot. And uh, yeah, so it makes it really ripe for um, people want to get into landscape photography and build a, a like a portfolio. It's a really good spot to live. Is it too crowded? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can be too crowded. I mean, I think a lot of areas are getting too crowded nowadays. I think it's been such an explosion over the last five years of people um, getting into photography, specifically landscapes. Um, I don't. I rarely find it crowded where I go, but I know if you go to some of the more well-known spots, it's pretty crowded. Um, so, like Mount Rainier will be crowded. If you go to some spots in Mount Hood, that'll be crowded. If you go to uh, some of the coastal locations, you'll probably run to a lot of photographers. Um, so, I wouldn't say it's too crowded, but it's definitely less lonely than it was even just like three or four years ago, for sure. Well, I'm interested to hear, what's your reaction to that? Like more people, more crowds being out where typically, I mean, I can agree to that, especially on the East Coast too. In the last five years, there's more people whenever I go out, especially for night photography. Yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, I've always been of the opinion that the more, the better. Um, uh, going back to people getting into nature, getting into these wild areas, these beautiful locations and experiencing them and finding value in those locations. I've always felt like that's more is better. But then again, of course, as over the last year or so or more, year or two years, there's been a lot of concern about the overall impact. Um, and I've definitely run into some of that impact. There's some spots in the Columbia River Gorge before it got burned down that uh, as you go there over a series of years, I could see the change um, uh, from people's foot traffic and from people trampling on areas that are, are not able to be trampled on in such numbers. And so while, 
you know, it's good for people to get out there and find value in these locations, which will then hopefully make them want to protect these same locations. The irony is that by the sheer volume of people going, uh, there is impacts to, to places which cannot sustain or, or withstand uh, that amount of traffic. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword for sure. How long has it been since the River Gorge burned? It was like September 2017. Maybe it's like late okay. August 2017. So it's been two years and a few months. Um, it was it was pretty surreal because I remember being in my backyard. I live in southeast Portland. And there was one afternoon where like the sky was just this faint orangey yellow and a strong smell of smoke and just these these ash falling from the sky from the gorge. And it was just pretty it kind of felt apocalyptic at times. Mm-hmm. Has it bounced yeah. back at all? You know, I mean, they've opened up a few trails, uh, a few of the more popular trails. Um, uh, driving through this summer, you could see some of the undergrowth, like the, not like the, just like the, on the ground cover is definitely bounced back. I've not really hiked in the gorge since, um, but I think it's, it's obviously going to bounce back. It's just a matter of time. Um, but it's definitely not like it was before the fire. And I, the, the amount of people who are going into the gorge is, I'm sure, decreased dramatically. Um, and a lot of those famous locations are probably going to look a lot different um, uh, post-fire once it does recover. Uh, on a personal note, like I love that area so much. I spend so much time because it is so close to Portland. For me, the one big bummer is not my son, who's now 11, um, not really getting the chance in the near future to really experience that place, which is pretty darn magical in the spring and early summer um, because it is a lowland uh, forest and it uh, gets an amazing amount of rain. It's just a, such a lush, lush area. So that's how life goes though. It, you know, it's interesting. We went through something similar in Tennessee a few mm-hmm. years ago in the Smokies when an area in the Smokies called Chimney Tops burned. And I was first of all, it was kind of a lot like how you described just kind of a pop apocalyptic looking, um, and driving in there soon after everything was just burned and charred. And it was amazing to me how it used to be one of the most popular places to go, especially for a day hike. It was a strenuous hike, pretty, pretty good elevation gain, but a lot of people went now, not a lot of people go up there. And I think now you have more clear views Mm. of the Valley from that aspect, but you don't see any photos from how it looks now after it's burned. And I've always found that like really interesting. Do you see the same thing with the gorge? Yeah. In terms of like the newer photos coming from the gorge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not a ton. I mean, there's Wakala, which is a trail to uh, Wakala Falls, which is really popular. You see a lot of images before the fire. And I'm starting to see a lot more after the fire now as well. But I don't think it was because there's so much rock and so much water involved in that particular photograph. It wasn't really affected much. In terms of any viewpoints from the gorge, I really haven't seen many recent photos from there. So I'm not really sure um, if it's just because people are adventuring to those locations or people just sort of going there to photograph and finding it not really as enticing as it once was. I'm not really sure actually. When you are on the trails and you're finding things to shoot, how do you 
find like personal value when you are in the act of creating a photograph? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's a pretty good question. Um, so I think it goes, it kind of goes back to the why of why we photograph or maybe why I photograph. And, you know, of course, one of the whys is to go out and create a photograph and come back and process it and, and feel like it's something that speaks to yourself. Um, and that end result's always, of course, a primary factor. But over the years, and even before I got into photography, um, being just being out there in nature, being out in these amazing locations, being in areas which, for all intents and purposes, do not really appear to be touched by man besides a trail or a bridge, um, just being out there and experiencing it is value in itself. And as I've, you know, the last 15 years, as I've become more and more involved in photography, I've also found value in just the sheer act of uh, being out there photographing and the creative process um, when creating a, a photograph. Um, so there's value for me, not just in the end result, but also the uh, subjective experience of creating a photograph and being into that creative zone. Um, um, and it's just, it's, yeah, I just, that's where the value lies for me. So, I mean, if I ever get to the day where like, I never post, if I ever stopped with photography, I think because, not because I'm not creating work or creating an image that I think doesn't work for me or doesn't work for maybe people who are my audience. I think I'll probably would stop photography when going out there with a camera loses the value where that experience of actually photographing and that give and take with the landscape, that aspect of my experience in nature dims. I think that would be the point where I would stop taking photographs. Um, not because I feel like the work I was creating is not engaging to other people or maybe not as engaging to myself as well. Um, so I think I just, what I'm trying to say is I feel like I realized that um, the importance I place in my personal experience in that creative mode is um, becoming more and more as the years go by. Have you had any moments like that where there wasn't like a connection or value in that moment? Yeah, all the time. I mean, definitely. It's it's kind of like fishing a little bit. And um, sometimes you go out and you're in that mental space and that mindset and you just feel like in the zone and you can, even if conditions are not great, you somehow find a way to create an image that you are pretty proud of. Or, And then there's other times where like you know the conditions are really good and your mind space is not really into it. And you feel like you're going to the motions and that the whole feeling of going through the motions and getting your settings set and, and, and not really feeling like you want to be doing that is, is um, that's occurred as well. Um, it's not super common, but it's also occurred. Um, but when I, when the conditions are really favorable and I'm in that mental space um, and uh, I can get into that full immersive creativity when I'm trying to make a photograph or take a photograph, um, that is like the most enjoyable aspect of photography is when those two things coincide for sure. Does it just click for you in that moment? Like you can almost feel that it's happening or is it something that you personally have to work for? I mean, I think um, 
It doesn't click. In fact, many times I'm not aware I'm there until it's done. So it's huh. kind of like an after fact. I'm walking back to the car. I'm like, man, that was just a really good session out there. Mm-hmm. And and it's you hear other photographers talk about flow state, and that's probably the best descriptor is you enter this flow state where you are so fully immersed in that moment. You're sensing what the light is doing. You're sensing what's going to the landscape, the wind, how the light is hitting the landscape or hitting the nature you're photographing. And it's kind of this give and take. And your mind is so fully locked in and in the moment that an hour and a half could pass, but it feels like 10 minutes. And it's kind of like this. Those are the times where I really appreciate being in nature. And in many ways, being a photographer is a vehicle for experiencing those moments. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I know exactly what you're talking about. And honestly, I can count on like probably one hand, the amount of times that that has truly happened. Um, so is that something that occurs for you often? I mean, I wouldn't say often. Um, and here's a weird thing about it. I do want to say this. Those moments where I felt like that, it doesn't necessarily mean I come back with an image I love. Huh. There's times where, ironically, where I have not really been in that zone, but I've figured something out. I found an arrangement. The light was really good. I made some images. And when I got back to my house, I reviewed them and said and thought that they actually were pretty good. So in some ways, it's not really dependent on making like that mindset isn't necessarily a prerequisite for making a strong image for me. It's just kind of a separate value I find in photography. Um, And so there's things you can do, I think, to uh, help yourself or for me, I guess. I'm going to speak for myself, not others. Um, And, you know, it could range from what type of music you're listening to as you drive out there, um, the sorts of thoughts going through your brain as you're hiking to the location. Um, And so for me, so think about hiking to a location. uh, if I'm hiking in, I'm thinking about some sort of life stress. I try just to let that go. If I'm thinking about what I'm going to do after photography, I'm going to let that go. And I'd rather just kind of think about and absorb kind of the information being you know, provided by lighting, weather, um, you know, what's the conditions on the ground, what's kind of like, what little details am I noticing, and start absorbing all these little like sensory imprints. And that kind of helps get me into that space where when I reach a location or when I find a subject, which is interesting enough to bring out the camera, then I feel like I'm more in tune with the given situation, the given conditions and the given subject matter. And I do feel like that helps enter that kind of like that flow state, if that makes sense. So if I walk through the forest or if I walked out to a landscape spot, and I was thinking about stresses or bills or, or other things, the football game on later. When I got to a location on the shoot, my mind would not be prepared to fully be engaged in that process. Um, so for me, I really tried to um, be there in that moment, the whole aspect of being more mindful. And I think that can help out. Is mindfulness something you practice yeah. often? I'm really bad at mindfulness. Um, I don't. I don't. I. Um, I have a monkey brain. My brain just cannot stop. So, um, in terms of being mindful of just the exact second to second to second, it's really hard for me. 
but I'm pretty good about being mindful in a situation. So if I'm talking with someone or if I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get distracted too often by uh, things when I'm really, um, I don't really describe it well, but basically I'm not very good at mindful all the time, but especially when I'm in nature, it's a lot easier for me. You mentioned something really interesting that I get frustrated with a lot. And that's when I do get into that zone or flow state as you, as you called it. Um, and I don't come back with something I'm happy with. It's mm-hmm. still, it still rings as a negative to me. Yeah. Um, how do you quantify the value that you get out of your photography when you don't come back with something? Um, great question. Um, I think lately I've been coming back without something more often than I have in the last several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this fall I shot, uh, every weekend, several times a weekend, and I probably got two or three images I liked, but in that instance, I was kind of working on visiting lesser known areas and areas that kind of a thought may have potential. Um, and so coming back with not a whole lot of product, like a productive session or productive photography um, is kind of a bummer for sure. Like I came back with a few images I really loved. It'd be more exciting to me to go back after the next time for sure. But at the same time, it's kind of this whole idea of productive struggle. So you're struggling to find something that speaks to you to create a photograph of, and it's not going to work. And so but once, but it is productive because you are figuring it out it's, um, so that the next time you go out, it may be a more productive session for you. Um, so I wouldn't describe what was happening as a creative block or, or anything like that. For me, it was more of just trying to figure it out, figure these, I was out into the Eastern Gorge and these oak forests, trying to work with those in the fall. Um, and it was a, it's a pretty complex subject matter. I could not find good arrangements. But I knew that by the end of like the third or fourth visit, I started feeling or having a better sense of what would work or maybe more appropriately what wouldn't work. Um, and so there was some value in those experiences in terms of like photographic experiences, even though I didn't come home with an image. And in my mind, I'm hoping that next fall, if I choose to go back out there again, it may be an easier, uh, maybe a little bit easier for me to come up with an image I, I really like. Um, and so the experience itself, waking up in the morning before dawn, driving out, coffee in the hand, listening to the music, um, is always really great. Hiking around these forests by yourself, there's no one else around. Um, seeing new places for the first time, seeing new canyons for the first time. And those experiences are valuable in, them, in themselves. And so I don't regret at all those early morning starts. I don't really regret um, deciding to go out there um, because there was that value of just the experience, of course. Um, would I love to come up back with more images? Absolutely, right? But um, like I said, like it, if, if the experience of going and photographing is valuable, then the, if I get something I love, it's, it's really great, but it's not, it's not needed for me. Um, 
if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people would label that like when they get into that rut, I guess I should say, is mm-hmm. they kind of think of it as a creative block. Um, yeah. When maybe what you're kind of saying is to embrace the paradox of the phrase that you said of, of a productive struggle. You're Absolutely. going about the process of creating an image, even if you don't have one that day, it yeah. leads to something later and, and embracing it that way kind of changes your mindset about the whole experience. Yeah. And so it's challenging yourself because I could have chosen to go to locations which had color, which would much more readily offer up an image I could photograph and probably process and then probably release or put on my website. So I was kind of purposely choosing to extend myself and push myself. Um, um, And I think that also helped me be okay with not having a lot of um, images I really want to to work on. Uh, But productive struggle is something that I think is beneficial um, as long as you realize that even though you're failing, you're still going forward. You're still expanding yourself. You're still getting better as a photographer because by the third or fourth time I went out there, I was much better at photographing those trees than I was the first two times. Absolutely. Um, I think the missing ingredient those last couple of times were just the lighting conditions and overall conditions themselves. And so that's why I think next year will be a little bit better. So now I kind of know what doesn't work and what, th- what ideas I have in my brain that may work. It's now going back to kind of find some conditions which will be conducive to creating that image that I think is out there. I just want to take a quick break and talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. You can go to visualwilderness.com and get tons of information, not only written content, but video content, courses both in-field and in-post-processing on how you can create better photographs and really channel your own creative vision for photography. I'm a contributor to that site, and right now, thanks to this podcast, you can get all of my courses on visualwilderness.com for a limited time of 33% off if you use the code david33 during checkout. You can go to visualwilderness.com or you can go to today's show notes and find all of the links to how to get those courses for 33% off for a limited time if you go to davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash bellino. But for now, back to the show. So when you are pushing yourself in these new locations or in a new setting or even with a new piece of gear or something mm-hmm. like that, does your photography, like for you and your creative style, does it have limits around it? Um, limits in terms of what I would shoot, like what subject matter I would shoot? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I really focus on nature. And without much evidence of uh, human, uh, uh, just humanity on the natural scene. So there's very few images of mine that actually can see a fence or a road or um, any evidence of person. So it's kind of, I really want to focus on just the natural settings. Um, So as long as that, as long as it's really about a natural area or natural scene, I I would shoot anything. 
Um, I'm not sure that answer your question or not, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in going out and finding these locations and scouting, I know you spend time backpacking. How important Mm -hmm. is backpacking to your photography? Oh man, I wish it was more important. I I did a lot of backpacking this summer with my, my wife and my son, I think we did like five or six backpacking trips. And I really love backpacking photography. I wish I could do it for more often because usually these trips are like one night or two nights. I wish I can go out for just five or six days with my, myself or a friend or two and just go out there and really go deep into those um, wilderness areas. Um, it's So right now it's not that important, but I, it's something that's one of my goals is to make backpacking photography, wilderness photography more of something I do, mainly in the summer, of course. Um, um, because really up until about 2005, I did a lot more of kind of multi-day backpacks and trekking. And since around then, when my son was born in 2008, I mean, out of necessity, of course, I scaled that back. But as he's grown older, I would hope that maybe he and I or or just myself or whoever um, can do some longer trips. Uh, there are areas in Wyoming and in the North Cascades in California and, and the Sierras that I re- really would like to spend a good bit of time in. And I think the only way to do it properly is to go out there for multiple days, not just one night, but go out there for three to five to six nights. Um, so I'm hoping to make backpacking more a part of what I do in the summertime, especially. Um, yeah. I think I think people want to get into backpacking with their landscape photography more, but I think they're hesitant to do so because they don't really know what steps they need to take first. Yeah. I mean, I have the benefit of being a backpacker since I was in college. So 1992, I started backpacking and that was, that came before photography. And that's actually how I got into photography was backpacking and general mountaineering and then traveling around the world. Those three things really put me in the pathway to becoming a landscape photographer. So the skills of, you know, gear selection, packing your backpack, setting up a tent, stove, managing your food, managing your water, uh, clothing, all those things are pretty well dialed in and second nature to me now. Um, uh, and so that's not a boundary or a hindrance to me getting out into those uh, to go backpacking. It's really more, more a matter of time. And uh, for certain locations, I would like to go with other people as well, just for a safety margin. Um, but yeah, so to start, I think just, I mean, I think there's a lot of information online about backpacking and setting up a tent. I mean, just start with car camping, with water management, setting up a tent and different systems of of clothing. Um, The key is to be comfortable because if you go out backpacking and you're hungry and you're cold or you're wet because you're the wrong gear or your tent is not a really good tent and the winds are too strong and it's flapping everywhere, um, those are really going to make that experience not really enjoyable. And so one of the big things is just figuring out ways to be comfortable. And then when it's not comfortable, being okay with being with a little bit of suffering. I mean, being cold a little bit's fine. Um, um, so yeah. I can't tell you how many nights I've spent like with in the rain. I feel like every time I go backpacking or camping, it rains on me. Oh my God. Yeah. Isn't the best. I love being in a tent and having a rain and you're dry at night. At least at night, not during the day. Yeah. 
But at nighttime where it's just raining, not like a crazy windy rain, but just the rain falling on the fly, the sound it makes. Like, I love that sound. It's pretty mellow. Yeah. Definitely puts me to sleep. I, I remember, yeah, the last time I went to the Smokies, uh, I camped next to, it was one of the mountain rivers that goes through there. And just the river running by me all night was just like a nice white noise. And then it was raining, like a nice steady rain all night. Not like a downpour, yeah, but just a nice steady rain. And it really was like one of the best nights of sleep I've had in a long time. Yeah, it's so nice. It's so good. You mentioned trekking and I did read on your website, like right before we jumped on in your uh, write up on your about me page, you talked about being in the Himalayas and, and then spending a whole year in South America. I, I love moments like that or long periods of time I, I was curious, what did that teach you about yourself and teach you about your photography? Um, uh, a lot. So um, I need to update that, uh, that bio piece on my website because a lot's happened since then, but still pretty much spot on. Um, so going to the Himalayas and trekking 2000 in the year 2000 was um mind opening for myself on a personal level, but then the first time where I really felt like I assumed the identity of being a photographer. Um, I, the cultural exchange, uh, I was by myself. I went there by myself. I'd never been to a different country besides uh, the border towns of Mexico. Um, being in that completely different culture, being in that different religious, uh, a country where there's several different religions that, being practiced um, was pretty eye-opening just in terms of just the fascination of it. Um, trekking was incredible, just experiencing yourself at altitude, looking at these mountains I dreamed of seeing for so long, uh, and in person seeing these mountains for the first time. That experience was incredible. Um, probably the, my favorite trek I did was Mount Kailash in Tibet, and that was a place. Have you ever heard of Mount Kailash? Uh, no, I haven't. No. So Mount Kailash is in Western Tibet and it's probably, it's like a four or five day Jeep ride from Lhasa. And so you're in this Jeep for like four or five days bouncing through these roads and you're just way out there. You feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. And Mount Kailash itself is to the Buddhists, the uh, Hindus and the Jains, uh, those religions is uh, one of the most holy mountains in the world. And it's, it's a source of several great rivers that kind of flows through that part of Asia and that in South Asia. But the, um, so um, there's a trek that goes around it. And that was just, that was a fascinating experience. Just seeing the Tibetan people um, hiking around the mountain um, was amazing. So photographically, uh, yeah, so going to Nepal back in 2000, coming home with those slides and that film, this film, uh, those negative films, uh, just really, I felt like, just really lit the fire for me to want to do more photography. And so that was a major impact. Um, and so this summer coming up, my family are going to go back to Peru and we're going to do the Sakante trip or trek. It's only like four or five days, but it kind of has a whole idea. Like you go to altitude at 16,000 feet and that's going to end near Machu Picchu. So um, these treks, I really want to continue doing them as I get older um, until I can't do them anymore. 
especially treks that involve a little bit of altitude, because I know as people age, they're not really going to deal with the altitude as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, I love I love being in different cultures and different countries and different mountain areas. Um, I don't do it a ton, but when I do, I really appreciate it. Well, through your creative journey in photography, like, do you look back to moments like that and can you channel that what you felt afterwards and apply it to kind of like what you do locally a little bit more? Um, the short answer is, um, not really. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think if I went into more of the backpacking photography, like we talked about before, where it's multi-day, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with, you know, you know, just the, that kind of more wildernessy environment. I think that would be more of a, a connection back to trekking for multiple days and being tired and maybe being a little bit sore. You have a blister. You might be sunburned. Um, you're dealing with water all the time. Um, and then and then going at a night where in these mountain environments it does get cold in the evenings or around sunset and sunrise and and, and photographing, I think that would be the, the best uh, parallel. But in terms of the photography I've been doing locally in the forests and uh, down in the southwest, it's not a strong connection. Um, and they're different enough in, in environments that it's, it's – um, I don't really think about those trips and those journeys while photographing. Um, uh, so, yeah. Well, you said you came out of the experience of traveling being – more comfortable calling yourself or labeling yourself as a photographer. Why was it difficult to do that before you went? Well, I think, um, cause before I really just would photograph, uh, trips. So backpacking trips, climbing trips, mountaineering trips, um, but not to create a photograph. It's more just to record that experience. And I would love being back in my house or my apartment back then. And, looking through those photos and reliving those experiences. And so photography became this really strong reminder of those trips. Um, whereas Nepal, that was the first time where I really, one, I bought a better SLR, a Nikon N80 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a couple different lenses. I read a few books about the technical aspects of photography. I read some articles in a book by Galen Rao about how to make an image and some techniques around uh, not just recording an experience, but actually creating an image. And so when I went there, I used these ideas that I was learning and I came home and the images were for me at that time, really, really, I love them. They were great. They were kind of like, I was amazed at how, how good they were. Although being in Nepal and trekking, your images are going to be great no matter what. It's kind of hard to make a bad image there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was a transition. Okay. So now it's not just a matter of taking photographs to record a trip or that experience. It's now taking photographs to record moments and to create maybe what could be more described as being art, um, arranging elements, thinking about leading lines, waiting for the best lighting, um, purposefully going out to take an image. Whereas before I wouldn't go out in the afternoon to, to shoot sunset. Even the sunset was great. I may sit there and take a snap at it, but I wasn't going to try to find elements to use to make an image of that really nice sunset before. So post-Nepal, that became more of a mindset for me, is how can I create an image 
um, when I'm out in the, in the back country. Does that continue to be your mindset for landscape photography still? Um, how to create an image? Yeah, I think it's definitely just kept on, you know, as you get more and more into it, I think it is, um, it's the same. Like, it's the same thing. You have your moment, you have your subject, and then you have you. It's something I kind of refer to as the person-subject moment uh, triangle. And uh, it's always how you can look at your subject. Is it inspiring you to, to, to make a composition out of it? Uh, what's the conditions on the ground? What's the moment offering in terms of weather, in terms of lighting? What's the wind doing? Uh, what are the factors which may influence how you record the scene? And then again, we, what we kind of talked about before is that whole idea of what's your personal mindset once you have the moment and you have the subject that you're working with. Um, um, my goal is always to get better at composition. Um, I'm a pretty impatient shooter. So, um, so it seems like some people go out and they find a composition and they work, 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 and they fine tune it and they sit on it and they look at the light as it changes and stick with that composition. And I've always wanted to kind of do that, but I have such a hard time waiting because in the back of my mind, I feel like there's always something more interesting if I keep searching. Um, and so for me, for this year, for 2020, one of my goals is to be more patient. So I have a composition I like, really start working at it more before leaving that composition to go look for something else. So I'm sure I probably passed over things that would be really, really strong images if I would just sat there and just took the time, the extra five minutes to really compose and try different camera levels or step to the left a little bit, or maybe zoom in or zoom out, really work with the composition. And then reviewing those images on my LCD with a really, like just really look at them and think about what's not working in this image or what could this, what could make this image better. Um, so, those are the things that I would like to do is just to kind of get better composition. That's like, for me, my main goal. One of the things that made it click for me, and I always struggled with that and I still do, yeah. but one of the things that made it click for me was two cameras. So I would yeah. take my initial camera, I would find that composition, work it, figure out what would look best in terms of what the light was doing then. Now, obviously you have to do minor adjustments as the light got better and as different things started to change in the landscape, maybe some different lines appeared, but it was always fine tuned tweaks to whatever I was doing with the main idea of the composition. And then having a secondary camera, just hand holding things as the light mm -hmm. changes, doing maybe like telephoto shots of fine details that were happening or anything like that. And then quickly switching back as the light got perfect to the camera that was still on the tripod. But I know a lot of people that are probably listening don't have two cameras or, you know, three, four five lenses with them every single time they go out and shoot. That's a great idea. I've never thought about that. I do have two cameras of a backup body that you bring on longer trips. I've never thought about using that as a way to kind of scout as I'm waiting for a composition that I'm kind of sitting on as I'm waiting for the light to kind of get good enough to take that image, but then use that second camera to kind of walk around and scout and potentially find a more strong composition or stronger composition. That's a really good idea. Actually. I never thought. Yeah. Typically that. it's been 
a really good process for me, even in the creative style, because sometimes with the secondary camera, I might see something that I think might look a little bit better with the first one. So I'll go back and kind of toy around with that composition too. But at the same time, scouting and looking kind of keeps the creative juices flowing rather than just like sitting down and watching my camera as it, you know, goes to sleep or something. But I will say, make sure your tripod is set up really well because I have walked away a few times and of course it like blows over in the wind or like get gets submerged in sand or something like that. Oh, that's a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it's because like the one reason why I feel like I don't sit on compositions, I mean, I've done it a few times where I'm like, this is something I really want to capture. I've done that. And it allows me to sit back and look at nature, which is fine. But we talked earlier about being in that creative zone and that flow state. And I feel like that kind of interrupts that whole idea of, of really being in tune with what's going on um, um, before you. Um, but I guess what's great about the second camera idea is that then you can continue with that creative process while you're waiting for the first composition to maybe have conditions get to the point where it's, it warrants uh taking an image or two Mm -hmm. i'll even do it to if i'm shooting time lapse something like that i'll do it to maximize time while i'm shooting a time lapse i'll do a wide one on one tripod and then i'll have a telephoto time lapse going and once i finish setting up the telephoto one the Mm -hmm. wide angle is typically done and i can go back and forth and readjust compositions and kind of move everything around as i go yeah that's good well, he is Michael Bellino, Pacific Northwest photographer. Thank you so much for coming on, talking with us about landscape photography and kind of just like the creative process of what your mind goes through as you're shooting. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, it's always an honor when people want to invite me onto a podcast and hear some of my thoughts. So I really do appreciate it.